Um, I was just overwhelmingly struck with the fact that Mike and Rachel, I appreciate your walk with the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful example of God works within order, but the Holy Spirit is free to move. You know, Rachel contacted me and said, what is your message about? And I sent her my outline. And so they were conscientious. They cared about what God was doing. But then the Holy Spirit, you guys will have no idea when you hear the message just how perfectly all that blended. And it just is overwhelming to me. So thank you. One thing I did want to say regarding that is I do have an outline. So I don't want anybody to feel pressured to have to take notes or write down the scripture references. I'd rather have you listen and focus. And we'll give everybody one of these when you go. Okay, so you can go back to all the scriptures and all the main points. Um, a little bit overwhelmed. It's been a really good day. It's been an interesting day. Never went home yet today. I came to church this morning and did Sunday school and attended this service. And Pastor's message was great. And then Karen and Bria and I swung right up to Word of Life. And I got a chance to minister to the Greensburg area singles and speak to over 80 singles on Valentine's Day. And it was a message about God's love. And It was a great time, and I could tell that it was a new group of people who really had never heard me before because uh, one of the pastors that we were blessed to sit at the table with asked if Bria and Karen and I were leading worship. And that's when I knew these people don't know me. I'm like, no. If I led worship, nobody would stay for the message. So, Um, But it was just, I don't know, it was an overwhelming time there, a good overwhelming, and now here tonight, and I just feel God's presence and um, yeah, last night I was struck in the middle of the night. Well, it started in the evening with a terrible viral sore throat. My gland swelled and I couldn't talk, really. It was just so painful. I don't know. I was like, I can't believe am I getting struck the night before I'm supposed to do all these speaking things. And I prayed and I said, God, I, I just believe this is a spiritual attack manifested in the flesh because I believe that God wants to touch some people's hearts with his love. And I believe that what, that's what it was. So here I am, loaded up on ibuprofen, speaking away. So I'm, you know, I'm in just a different kind of zone tonight. I'm in a zone where I know that God wants to meet certain needs. He's really touched me with this message. Pastor brought to my attention when he heard what the message was going to be on. I think I'd heard this before. Charles Stanley, how many of you ever heard of him? He said he was 23 years in the ministry before he really got a grasp on the fact that God loved him. You know? I feel like that sometimes. So anyway, this is an important message. Um, it's called Hens and the Higher Love of God, and by the end, you'll love hens. Everybody will want to go out and get a hen as a pet? No, I promise you. You will absolutely adore and love hens. So uh, that'll be at the end. First of all, God's love, God's love is a catapult. God's love is the catalyst that puts us into the place we need to be in our salvation It puts us into where God wants us to be as saved people. It's the catalyst that throws us into a place where we don't need to be afraid to face him one day. Amen? And God's love is the thing that catapults us or puts us into the place where we're removed from a life of fear and set free to serve him with passion. And unless we fully grasp and understand the love of God, we never get into those places we're supposed to be. Now, the problem with love is this. We all interpret or filter love through the love of people. And I don't care who has loved you best in your life. There is no human being on the face of the earth that you should take that person and say, that's how God feels about me. Because God's love for you is infinitely higher than any human being could ever love you. We learn to love by reaction instead of action. We, we interpret, we filter our understanding of God's love through our human experiences. Not good enough. That's why God has revealed himself through his word. Amen? Divine revelation. And I, in my experience in ministry for decades, is that people just don't grasp how God's love is different than human love. And we don't understand it, so we're not resting Now, a verse that I memorized back when I was a teenager is Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. I have a love-hate relationship with that verse. Anybody ever have a love-hate relationship with something in the Bible? You love it, but you hate it. Because you know it's good and it's right, but you just can't quite get it and grasp it. Okay, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. 
In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you wouldn't have any of it. Now, Shelley Prindle, with her type A personality, has a hard time with this repentance and rest thing. I'm a go-getter. I feel guilty about everything that I don't do exactly right, and I have a hard time with the repentance and rest thing. And I have a hard time with the quietness and trust. How many of you are like that? But it is an understanding of God's love that can catapult you into a place where you can repent and rest, and you can find your strength and quietness and trust instead of clamoring about and trying to work harder for God and hoping that He accepts you and that He loves you. Amen? Now, another thing that God's love catapults us into is 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, you know I've talked about this before, but so many Christians in this life are being overcome by life instead of overcoming. We're not really living with passion. Amen? And God's love is the thing that can catapult you to a place where you actually begin to live instead of just exist. Now, 1 John chapter 4 outlines something else that God is trying to do for us with his love. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. How many of you would love to lay your head on the pillow at night and say, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, I have full confidence when I stand before him? Yeah, okay. We want to have that, but we struggle with that as Christians because we're not fully understanding the love of God. But the Bible says there is no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. Okay? It's right there in print. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, so obviously Shelley Prindle has not been perfected in love. But do you see, God wants to get us out of a place of fear and into a place of security. Then we love because he first loved us. So if we want to get into a place of repentance and rest, quietness and trust, confidence for the day of judgment, instead of fearing God, we're actually thriving in our relationship with him and we're able to love other people the way we should. We need catapulted into that by a true understanding of God's love. Now the problem is, Many times in churches today, people are only, uh, you know, they hear the phrase, God loves you, God is love, and it becomes this wishy-washy kind of emotional feeling type thing. How many of you know feelings come and go? Apologetics activated people, what drives the train? Your faith is based on the facts. Your faith follows the facts, your feelings come and go. This is not about wishy-washy love. When I spoke to the singles today, they were so glad I wasn't coming to talk about romantic love necessarily. I was coming to talk about the love of God. Amen? The love that we can count on, that is far above any human love we could ever experience. And that's what I want to outline for you tonight. I'm going to go over some basic concepts about the love of God, and it's solid stuff. Okay, this isn't my feeling, this is truth. So here we go. First thing about God's love is God's love is infinitely higher than any other love there is. Now, God, you know, I love the way that he relates his natural world to spiritual truth. Because we can't see spiritual things with our physical eyes. Amen? So God's kind to us, and he says, okay, I know that sometimes you can't wrap your mind around spiritual things. I'm going to tell you about it using physical phenomena. So, for example, Psalm 36 and verse 5 says... I think there's a song about this. You've probably heard this scripture before. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Now, David said that in his psalm, in his book of poetry. Your steadfast love, O God, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Then David reiterates it in one of his most beautiful psalms, Psalm 103, verse 11. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my steadfast love towards them that fear me. Now, just, you know, we can't just look at this and say, oh, isn't that beautiful poetry? God's trying to say he loves me a lot. Well, he is, but he's speaking truth here. What does this mean from a realistic and scientific perspective that God's love, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love towards us? What does that mean? 
Well, we know that when we look up at the sky, we think, wow, it's very vast, you know, it's very, it's far up there. Amen? And as I told the singles today, and they were not impressed, I am such a geek that I once actually calculated how long it would take you, I know, I see certain people, how long it would take a person who lived 80 years and could walk a 20-minute mile, I calculated, Marilyn, yes, I did. How long it would take that person to walk to an averagely distant star? You know what I came up with? 90 million lifetimes. It would take you, you would have to live 90 million lifetimes to walk to an averagely distant star. So God is trying to say to us what about the heavens? They're far. Farther than you can understand. That's just an averagely distant star. Now, I don't want to get too technical on you, but this is some... Good, solid apologetic science here. Not just Christian scientists, but scientists in general all agree on one thing. The universe currently, right now, is expanding at a bounded rate. It just continues to expand. How many of you are familiar with that fact? Universe is expanding. Um, what they're, through Hubble Space Telescope and other technology, they're looking at the light that is coming back to us from stars and other galaxies, and that light is telling them these galaxies seem to be racing away from one another. But it's not that the galaxies are racing away into, you know, further out in space. What's actually happened is space itself is just expanding. It, it, I think of it, uh, William Lane Craig explains it this way. If you had a balloon and it was not inflated, and you could somehow sew buttons on the balloon, the balloon represents the space-time continuum, okay? You sew these little buttons on the balloon, you begin to blow the balloon up, and what happens to the buttons? They start to grow further and further apart. That's what we're noticing about the galaxies. You say, Shelly, why do you do this nerdy stuff in the middle of a message? Because God means business. He's not joking around here. This is his word. He's saying, as far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how great my love is towards you. Now, back in David's day, all they knew was, wow, that looks vast. I probably can't get a grasp on how far away that is. And God knew that in the year 2013, we would know through technology that the universe is actually expanding. And so more and more evidence lends to the fact that God is trying to say something very important here. My love is infinitely higher than anybody else's love for you. You can't compare it. You can't say, well, God loves me as much as my father loves me. God loves me as much as my spouse loves me. This person really loves me. I have the best, best friend in the world. God must be like that. No. God is infinity times greater in his love towards you than any human being. Are you with me? That's hard for us to understand and grasp because we're so used to interacting with humans. But God wants us to understand, my love is infinitely higher. Now, here's the second point. God's love does not vacillate. It does not fluctuate. It does not go up and down. Now, how many of you have ever experienced the love of someone that goes up and down? Isn't that fun? You feel like you're in a yo-yo relationship? That's fun stuff. Okay. God's love does not vacillate, never changes. Now, we live in a world of high insecurity, don't we? We live in a world where everybody's watching the ups and downs. I had just written this message, walked into a Starbucks to get a coffee, and in front of Starbucks there was a New York Times sitting right there on the podium, and three charts across the front page of the New York Times were nothing but charts of the stock market going like this. Okay? vacillation, change. People are looking at their 401ks and they're looking at the stock market and they're looking at the cost of health insurance and all kind of other financial indicators and it's going like this. And we tend to look at those vacillating numbers and think, my financial security depends on that vacillation. That's important to me. Now, me as a diabetic, I take this little blood test around. I do 10 or 12 blood tests a day. I look at a number and depending on whether it's up or down, I take, that's where my health is either good or bad depending on a number. As healthcare continues to change, you know, your employers are asking you, what's your cholesterol? What's your blood pressure? What's your BMI? You know, you just want to say, get a life, you know? They want to know everything. You're looking at medical charts to see if you have health security. 
Amen? Up and down. What's the results going to say? So we got financial indicators. we got med- medical indicators. People are looking at their, you know, their social calendars, their black books, and how many appointments they have determines their, not social security, but social security. You with me? Okay? Because forget social security. All right. We don't even want to talk about that with when we looked at our paychecks in January. But social security, okay? How many friends do I have on Facebook? That depends on how popular I am. Up and down, up and down. We're looking at vacillating numbers all the time for our security. In a world marked by vacillation and security, it is so important for the Christian to understand something. Your security for your future financial position has nothing to do with vacillating numbers. Has absolutely, your, your security in your health has nothing to do with the numbers. If God wants you alive, baby, you're gonna be alive. And when it's your day to die, you're going to die. Amen? And how you stand in relation to other human beings as far as the social scene goes and acceptance goes has nothing to do with you being who God wants you to be and having the influence you're supposed to have. Amen? And it blessed my heart in studying this whole point of vacillation in the world. I read Romans 8, 38 and 39 in a whole different way. Paul said, now watch this, he said, for I am sure, now watch what he's saying visually, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demonic rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any power, watch this, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? When you look at your portfolio next time, when you look at what the doctor has to say about your health, when you look at any vacillating number from now on, I want you to memorize the scripture. I want you to say to yourself, I am sure that neither height nor depth, high nor low, nothing is going to stop God's plan. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Now, the reason God's love can be infinitely higher and the reason God's love does not vacillate is because God is transcendent. Now, we live in a pantheistic culture. We live in a world that is kind of of the New Age persuasion and people are being fed in different ways the line that God is everything and everything is God. I'm part divine, the tree is part divine, la, 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 la. And we've lost the grasp as theistic people that God is altogether different than we are. Okay? You can't do yoga and meditate enough to become divine. You will never be God. Amen? My mind is not an expression of the mind of God. Thank you, Gary Zukov or Oprah Winfrey or whoever wants to say that. It's not true. My mind is not an expression of the mind of God. My mind is a creation of God. Okay? He is separate from us. Now, this is really important to understand because before God created the universe, what was there? Just God. And then God made the universe. Now, I understand that the universe may not be a perfect cube like I have it represented, although the mathematician in me says it is, and we'll find out someday. But here's the deal. God stands outside the universe. Physically speaking, the being that creates space and time has to exist outside of space and time. So God is timeless and he is spaceless. Not spacey, even though sometimes if you look at your life you're like, God, are you spacey? Okay, he's spaceless and timeless. God is transcendent. He is altogether different. The word transcendent means he is above and beyond this universe. We're all stuck within the universe. Now, God's in there with us, but we are stuck in there. We are finite. We are not transcendent. So we are not comparable to God. The Bible outlines his transcendence if you go to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, if you go to Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. Either way, we have the seraphim or the four living creatures who bow down and say something about God. And we're going to go to Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. 
These weird creatures, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say. What are the three words they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now notice this. The living creatures do not bow down and say, Mercy, mercy, mercy is the Lord God Almighty. They do not say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They don't bow down and say, wrath, 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 or justice, 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 or kindness, kindness, kindness is the Lord God Almighty. God's nature is wrapped up in one word. You know what it is? God is what? Holy. His primary attribute, his central, the central part of his being is that God is holy. That means he is transcendent. When we talk about people or things being holy, we mean they're set apart for God's purposes. When we talk about God being holy, we mean he's altogether different than we are. Absolutely outside in another realm, okay? Now, R.C. Sproul, who's one of the greatest Bible teachers I know, from his book, The Holiness of God. Now, check out this quote. This will be a, an eye-opener for some of you. Here's what R.C. Sproul said. He said, when we use the word holy to describe God, we face another problem. We often describe God by compiling a list of qualities or characteristics that we call attributes. We say that God is a spirit, that he knows everything, that he is loving, just, merciful, gracious, and so on. The tendency is to add the idea of the holy to this long list of attributes as one attribute among many. But when the word holy is applied to God, it does not signify one single attribute out of many. On the contrary, God is called holy in a general sense. The word is used as a synonym for his deity. Okay? So you don't make a list of things and say God is love, God is just, God is kind, God is holy. No, God is holy. So his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His wrath is holy wrath. That's why when Shelley Prindle takes vengeance on somebody, it ain't a pretty sight. Because my vengeance is unholy vengeance. God's vengeance is perfect. Okay? That's the same reason that you cannot look at human love and say that's how God loves. Because there isn't a person on the face of the earth who loves exactly right. Amen? Only God loves with holy love. R.C. Sproul went on to say, that is the word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. His spirit is holy spirit. So we have seen that the term holy calls attention to the transcendence of God, the sense in which he is above and beyond the universe. Now, it is important that we as Christians grab hold of doctrine. This is doctrine, amen? This is something, this is meat. See, people can't hold on to just hype and emotionalism. you got to know the truth from God's word. you got to understand with your mind what God has revealed to us so that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, no matter what anybody else has done to you, no matter how insecure or lonely you feel, you can say this. God loves me with a transcendent love, Amen? An altogether different and reliable love because he is holy. God is holy, so his love is completely reliable. Now, how many of you know people are just not reliable? Some people are more reliable than others, but nobody is 100%. With God, it's altogether different. God does not grow sick, grow tired, or die. And that's an important thing to know. Because how many times has somebody said to you, I'll be there for you, or I'll do this or that for you, and something as simple as a cold virus or a bout with the flu keeps them away? Amen? And then people just grow weary. They grow tired. They have to sleep. Okay? They can't be there for you sometimes, and you need to be up all night because you're upset about something. And sometimes they don't grow physically tired. They just grow tired of you. <laughs> okay? God never gets sick. He never grows tired, and he never dies. Yeah, some people even get tired of me. Okay, so they get tired of you, and he never dies. How many of you have loved somebody so much, and they just pass from this world into the next? Through no fault of their own. Amen? Listen, Isaiah forty twenty eight says this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not grow tired or weary. God is never going to get sick on you, and he's never going to get sick of you. Amen. Pastor Sermon talked about that this morning. He will chase us down. God doesn't get sick of us. He is never going to die. And even when you die, he doesn't die. He's going to take you over the chasm of death. His love is altogether different. He is totally reliable. God does not forget or neglect us. Now, this is a real touch point with a lot of people, and I have seen it in my life with some young people. I mean, I've been involved with a lot of young people as a teacher through the years and some people in my own family, and this has become very near and dear to my heart. It is unbelievable to me the number of young people who then become adults, and some of them are sitting in this room right now, who have been neglected or forgotten by the people that matter, and forever they are skewed. Amen? One thing I love about the Bible is it's brutally honest. God never sugarcoats anything. He says, I get the problem and here's the solution. And I want to tell you one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible is Isaiah 49:15. Listen to what God says. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child? I picture that image. So mother's got a child on her bosom. She's nursing her child, and God says, can a mother forget the child that she's nursing and have no compassion on the son of her womb, right? And you think God's rhetorical question is going to be answered this way. No way, I've rigged all mothers to love their children the way they should. But let me tell you something. How many of you know that there are mothers in the real world that forsake their children, neglect and abuse their children? So God is so real. You know, he says, can a mother forget her nursing child or have no compassion on the son of her, of her womb? God says, yes. Even these may forget. But I will not forget you. Amen? You may be sitting in this room. You may be the victim of a lot of things. People who should have loved you and done you right and they didn't. I want to tell you, God knows that that's the truth. He knows that that can happen. But he says, unlike people, I will never forget you. I will never abuse you. I will never neglect you. God's love for you is transcendent. It can overcome anything that anybody has ever done to you. God never fails to show up. Okay? Sometimes we need people to be there and maybe their car breaks down or their flight gets delayed and they just don't show up. Or maybe they just forget us. I remember one time I was supposed to meet Jenny Marcellis. She's the director of children over at uh, Cornerstone Church. And we've been friends for a long, long time. And after we parted ways and we weren't teaching together anymore, we meet about once or twice a year for breakfast at the same King's every year. I'll never forget. I was so excited. I hadn't seen her a long time. We made this appointment to go to King's together. And I sat on the bench and I waited. Jenny always shows up, you know. I'm waiting and waiting. Half hour, 40 minutes. Okay, I guess she's not coming. And I felt so embarrassed. I'd been in the waiting area. Oh, no, you don't have to seat me. I'm waiting for my friend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure you are. Okay, delusional person. Okay, I never did, out of grace, I never told Jenny that she forgot me. And she really never remembered until the next time we were getting together. She was like, oh, you want to get together? Because we haven't been together in a long time. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'll try this again. All right, God never fails to show up. He's never going to forget you. Psalm 104.3 says, He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind. Can you imagine that? No car breakdown or flight delay is going to stop God from being where you need him to be at any time of day or night. And finally, God is not selfish. We are selfish people by nature. And our love for other people is skewed by our selfishness. Amen? God is never selfish with you. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of righteousness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Amen? God is never going to do you wrong because he's just outright selfish. Okay, so God's love is infinitely higher. God's love does not vacillate. God is holy, and that's why his love is reliable. Now, this, personally for me in the, in the past few months, has been a life changer. I know it's a simple statement, but it's really hard to grasp and live by. Listen to me. God is faithful. 
Now, some of you need to hear this. I know this, uh, this, this is a huge thing. The Holy Spirit's really impressed this on my heart, so I want you to really focus in on this point. Recently, the first, it was the first time in our married life, I'm always the one with the disease. My husband's always healthy. So in the past few months, something weird happened. In the first time in our married life, Jeff got sick, really sick. I had to take him to the emergency room. He ended up in intensive care. He nearly died when his blood pressure completely bottomed out and he went unconscious in the emergency room. Had to have a blood transfusion because of all the bleeding that was happening. And he was in ICU for a number of days, in the hospital for a week. Okay, And when I was in that emergency room that night and a friend was with me, I remember saying after his blood pressure bottomed out and we thought we might, you know, doctors and nurses were running into the room. And you know that's bad when four doctors are running into a room in the emergency room. Where's the guy that's bleeding out? You know, where's the, huh? my head spinning and I guess I turned white and, and then they started attending to me. Okay, so that's a, I always steal the attention. So I'm sitting, I'm just, and I'm, I, all of a sudden, you know, they're asking me if I need water. I tell them I'm a diabetic. Do you need something to drink? And I'm sitting there. I looked at the friend that was with me and I said, I know God's in this emergency room with me. Wasn't that big of me to admit, to, to believe that God was in the emergency room with me? But let me tell you what else happened. So a few days later, after the time goes on and on and Jeff's not getting better and, you know, he, He's not on a salary. He works hourly, and so he wasn't getting paid, and he was out of work, and I didn't know how sick he was going to be and for how long, and, and his numbers weren't coming up like they should, and I'm having to run back and forth four times a day to ICU hours, and my blood sugar's out of control, and I'm tired, and I'm weary. I remember a couple times standing beside his bed while he was sleeping or at home by myself, pacing through the kitchen and saying this. Yeah, where are you, God? Are you real? Like, is this happening to me? Do you even care about me? Okay? And pastor still lets me be on staff, even though I say those things sometimes. Isn't that nice to him? Thank you, pastor. Okay. How many of you will admit that there are times when you ask God, are you real? Hello? Is anybody up there? Can anybody else identify with with me? And I remember going through a time thinking, God, I am so unfaithful to you. I, I, I don't have enough trust. And God brought me to Psalm 115, verse 1, because it was my turn to do devotions in staff meeting. And this verse came to my head, not to us, O Lord, not to us. Not to Shelley Prindle, O Lord, not to Shelley Prindle. The glory doesn't go to me for being faithful to God. Not a single person in here should gain any glory because we're faithful to God. I don't get any credit because I said, God, I know you're with me in the emergency room. Because when I say, God, I don't know where you are when I'm standing in the middle of my kitchen, I don't get credit for that either. Thank God. You with me? Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Amen? We need to give God the glory because it's his faithfulness that holds us and not ours. I spent half my life not being faithful to God like I should. Is he still faithful to me? Amen. And we need to grab hold of that fact. Look, one of the most stark, amazing verses in the Bible to me is in this passage in 2 Timothy when Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now watch this. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Okay, that makes sense because God treats people with dignity. All right, if you want to raise your fist to God and say, I don't want anything to do with you, I don't believe in you, get out of my life, I hate you, I don't want you, well, God's a gentleman, and he'll say, okay, you deny me, I'll deny you, all right? But look at the last section. Look at this. If we, on the other hand, are faithless, all right, if we have trusted in God, if we believe in God, but we lapse, but we sin, but we fail, but we doubt. Look at this. But if we are faithless, what's it say? Say it with me. He remains faithful. Is that something to hang on to? Because he cannot deny himself. Listen, it is in God's character.
character to be totally faithful. He cannot be faithless. So even if Shelley Prindle is unfaithful to him, he still is faithful to me. That's a miracle. And people need to hear that because one of the biggest things that Satan will use against your soul if you're a Christian is if you go through a period of sin or unfaithfulness to God, the enemy will say, see, you are faithless. You're done for. Goodbye. And we Christians give in to that. And then we don't live for God like we should. We don't accept his love. We don't serve him in the callings he has for us because we think that the credit goes to us. If I'm faithful to God, God will be faithful to me. Amen? Wrong. Me being held by God does not depend on me. It depends on him. Now, you guys know I'm a graphic person, so I had to make a graphic for this. And please enjoy because this took me about two hours to develop. Okay, now, not two hours, but this is really cool. Okay, some people say it reminds them of a pinball machine, Bria. <clears throat> but anyway, but it's, it's good. Now watch this. This is what my faithfulness to God is supposed to look like. Straight arrow, you know? Shelly gets saved. She starts serving God. Woo, right into eternity. Bliss. Okay, that's not what it looks like. This is what my walk with God ends up looking like. Yeah, broken. Okay, I'm walking along with God, and all of a sudden, I'm unfaithful. I'm not trusting him like I should. I'm not doing what I should. I fall off. Okay, so at those broken points, it's like I go into this little pit. I'm supposed to be on the straight and narrow, just walking, sailing off into eternity. Whoops, I become unfaithful, and I fall down. Now, what the enemy wants you to believe at that point, once you fall down, he wants you to think that that is a bottomless pit. He wants you to think that if you're unfaithful to God, you're done for. He's going to drag you down to the bottomless pit. You've got to somehow earn God's love back, blah, 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 blah. And if he can get you there, buddy, you're done for. That is a lie. Now watch this. When I was asked to do a staff devotions that day, this is what came to me. When I am faithless, he remains faithful. Because he's transcendent. It's his nature to be faithful. Listen, my faithfulness, the blue line, is not up there by itself. The only reason I have faith at all is because it's a gift of God. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 32, I believe it is, says this. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen? So my faithfulness is held up by the very character of a holy God. Amen? My faithfulness is held up by the faithfulness of God. Now, how this makes all the difference is, there I am, I'm the blue dot. I'm the pinball. I'm walking along in my life. I'm going to be unfaithful here in a second. Okay, I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to trust God like I should. I'm going to sin against him. But instead of falling into a bottomless pit, underneath are the everlasting arms. And the faithfulness of God bounces me right back up. Isn't that beautiful? Let me do that again with the sound effect. Now, thank you, God, for taking me through that period of when I didn't trust you enough when Jeff was sick. Now, in a month from now, I'm going to be unfaithful again. No, maybe that's tonight. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to be unfaithful again, okay? I'm going to mess up because I'm a sinner. I'm a human being. And when that happens again, what's going to happen? There we go. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I want you to remember that when you're going through times of uh, you feel like you're not trusting him enough. You feel like you failed him. You feel like you've sinned. Listen, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. God is transcendent. His love is faithful. Now, here's a big one. Just a couple more points. Number uh, This next one. God's love is action, not reaction. Now, we are used to reacting love. If you love me well, Winnie, if you love me good, I'll love you good back. Okay? If you love me mediocre, I'll love you mediocre. Okay? That's the way we act with people. God's love is always action, never reaction. Now, this is beautiful. And I might get hyped up about this and spit. I'm really hyped up about this. God gives a definition for love here. He says this. He says, this is love. In this is love. And I'm waiting for some big grand definition, you know. And all he gives me is a negation. He gives me a what it isn't. Look what he says. In this is love. Not 
that you have loved me. That is the most, that phrase has been going through my mind for weeks and it has freed my soul. If God's love for me depended on my love for him, I'd be in deep water. He reaches down, he says, Shelly, this is the definition of love, okay? He's going to be straight out with me. Shelly, this is love. You didn't love me. I loved you. Isn't that beautiful? That just doesn't go for the day I was saved. That goes for every single day of my life. In this is love. Not that you have loved me, but that I love you. Does that take a burden off your back? Hey, God doesn't love you more because you love him more. Are you with me? God's love is action, not reaction. God's love doesn't increase because you become holier and holier. You become holier and holier because that will make you, I mean, that will give you fulfillment and joy, but God couldn't love you any more than he does right now. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Shelly, this is love. Not that you've loved me, but that I have loved you. And this, is, and this is how I show it. I sent my son to be the propitiation for your sins. Now I said to the singles group, you know, Hope and Passion Ministries are going to come out with a line of greeting cards. Okay, and instead of love, peace on the front, ours are going to say propitiation. Won't that be fun? Who wants to buy some of those? It won't make lots of money, okay? But really, this is love, propitiation. I can just see those, you know, sunrise, sunburst, flowers all around it. Okay. You're laughing now. So you wait till you hear what propitiation is. It's a fancy word, theological word. It's an important word every Christian should know. And it basically means this. God's wrath is appeased. God's wrath is appeased. And it's by, by him. He himself did it. Now I'm going to show you this again in visual form. Watch this. This is really critical for people to understand. John 3.16, we all know, but John 3.36 is just as important. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now watch this. All right. I want to make sure that I say this totally clearly as my God-given responsibility. God is just. There is not a sin in word, thought, or deed that is going to go unpunished. Not one. Not one rape. Not one shooting of a child. Not one uh, bank robbery. Not one idle word of gossip. Not one act of selfishness. Not one sin will go unpunished. Sermon's over. Wasn't that good? It's a good note to end on. No, it doesn't end there. But that is the truth. Now, I want to tell you something. If God did not punish every single sin, I wouldn't serve him. He would be an unjust, very wrong God. Everybody agree? You can't let, you you can't be a, a holy God and let all of this horror go on, including the horror that I've done. I've been a horror in my life with my selfishness. With some of the things that I've done and thought and said, a horror. And if God lets things go unpunished, then I, he is not a God to serve. But praise him, he's just. And there is not a sin that has ever or will ever happen that will go unpunished. Now here's the good part. Every sin in the universe will rush to one of two places. It's like two magnets for sin. Every sin in the universe is going to rush one of two places. This is it. There's only two. The first place is on a hill called Calvary, happened in real historical time 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin on our behalf. So it's bigger than Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You know how big it is? He didn't just die on the cross for my sins. Jesus became my sin offering. That's huge. Because Jesus is the God-man. 100% God, 100% human. So he is infinite in nature. So every sin that Shelley Prindle has ever committed, is committing, and will ever commit, because I believe in him, all of my sins went on the cross 2,000 years ago to a specific geographical location over there on Calvary, on my Jesus. Are you with me? And because I believe in that, the wrath of God no longer rests on my head. Now, if a person chooses not to put their sin on Jesus because we are unholy and finite, we would, and there are people, there may be people sitting in the sanctuary right now, there's people everywhere who have the wrath of God sitting on their heads. And it's why you have no peace, and it's why your life is miserable and you suffer under that guilt, okay? And if you carry the wrath of God in your own head because you don't place it on Jesus, guess what? You're not just going to carry it in this lifetime. You're going to take it into the next life. And you're going to go to a place that Jesus defines as hell, a place of separation from God. And watch this. Jesus could absorb an infinite amount of sin in a finite moment because he's infinite. If you carry the wrath on your own head, you will have to carry it and pay for it For how long? Forever. Because you're finite. It's going to take you infinity to try to pay for that sin, and you'll never be able to. You will suffer under the wrath and guilt of sin forever. Now, that picture on the left of Jesus becoming the sin offering for us, that is propitiation. God bore the penalty for my sin himself. He appeased his own wrath on the cross. You with me? God's love is action, not reaction. Last point, this is it. This is where you're going you're gonna to love hens forever. I hope somebody brings me a hen. Jeff won't, but I hope. You know, Jeff won't even let me get a cat. Maybe he'd let me get some hens. God's love reaches down. We read Psalm 36.5 early, earlier, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven, your faithfulness to the skies. Verse 7 says this. The children of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, I've always been intrigued by that statement because I'm a bird lover. What does that mean? We take refuge in the shadow of his wings. Now, I know, you know, logically speaking, in the Old Testament, we won't go into a big history lesson, but the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies up above the mercy seat is where God's Shekinah glory was, his special glory was, his presence. And his presence was under the what? The wings of the cherubim so in one sense god is saying the children of man will take refuge in your presence god okay now i thought about the shadow of god's wings and i looked at where it was in the old testament and then i realized it's in the new testament too when god became flesh and came when jesus came he talked about the same thing in a really cool way Now, Jesus went to Jerusalem, and we know he wept over Jerusalem, and he got a little bit upset with Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the place of worship, his holy city. Amen? And he was just so disgruntled, so upset about what Jerusalem had become. So in one instance, we see him weeping over Jerusalem. In this instance, in Matthew 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it! Exclamation point. Okay? Now, if I am God, and I'm looking at Jerusalem, and I'm seeing what Jerusalem has done, I'm going to get pretty mad here. Because look at this. Jeremiah chapter 20, for example, says that a priest in the house of God in Jerusalem took the prophet Jeremiah and beat him and put him in stocks. Right there in the town of Jerusalem. Pastor the priest beat Jeremiah, put him in stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. Right in God's place of worship, they took God's prophet who was preaching God's message and they beat him. 
Then in Second Corinthians or Second Chronicles, verse uh, chapter thirty-six. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made in Jerusalem. God sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at the prophets. So Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem, knowing what has, what has happened in the past and knowing that he himself is going to be killed, right outside the city, knowing that the church is going to be persecuted, that Stephen's going to be martyred, he's looking at Jerusalem, he's saying, this is supposed to be the center of worship. This is supposed to be where people draw closest to me. You're killing my prophets. I'm sending you a message and you're shoving it away. Now, before we get all like full of ourselves and say, oh, you bad people in Jerusalem, it's what we do. We are supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be the place of worship. And God sends messages to us and tells us to clean things up and to do things right, and we just push them away. Amen? So Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I told the singles, if that were me, okay, if that's me, if I'm God and I'm standing there looking at Jerusalem and I know what they've done and what they're going to do, I'd be yelling at them with them exclamation points too. But the next line out of my mouth would be, you dirty, rotten, goodbye. This amazes me. Now think with me. This is the Son of God saying this. He says, you have done all this bad stuff, Jerusalem, but here's what I have to say about it. How often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers its brood under its wings. The Son of God likens himself to a domestic fowl. Anybody love chickens? Hens? The Son of God condescends as reaches down to the point where he says, you have messed up big time, but here's what my desire would be. To be a hen for you. Now, your faces don't look as amazed as mine was, as they should, and so I'm going to make them amazed. This is not a hen. How many of you realize that? Okay? We're going to get, I'm a bird watcher, get a little bit of lesson in birds here. This is not a hen, this is a dove. But isn't it cute? Okay, you see the dove with her children under the what? Shadow of her wings. Okay, now listen, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm like a hen. He cares about us that much to liken himself to a hen. All right. Aww. Yeah, I heard the, that's what happened with the singles. And, and a few women go, Aww. Okay, if you're sitting by a man who didn't go, or Aww. punch him, smack him. Because listen, it's manly. Jesus said, I'm like a hen. So all you men, get rid of your attitude. This is cute. Everybody say, aw. Now, that is sweet because look at that hen, okay? Here's what I think she's saying. Get under here, buddy. I got you. All right? And the look on her face, although she needs a little bit of a makeover, she's not that attractive in her face, she's serious. You know what I'm saying? Get under here. And isn't that sweet? Isn't that cute? Now, Jesus said, I want to be a hen for you. Now, watch this. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Look at that hen. Now, again. Very cute. The little chicks are tucked under there. Okay, that's very, very cute. She's protecting her chicks. But I gotta say something. She got a serious look on her face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just try to mess with my babies. Okay? And that's true. That's very, very true. Now, the next picture, you're gonna love this one. The next one is my absolute favorite. Okay? If you thought this was good enough, these hens are serious about their babies. But check this one out. Anybody see what I see? Do hens really have 332 feet? Okay. Do they? Do hens have 332 feet? I don't think so. This is so telling. Okay, that hen does not have a deformity of multiple feet. Okay, she is actually so protecting her chicks that they are under. She's not gained weight, okay? Those are her babies under there. Look at all those feet. Isn't that adorable? 
Now, when you read that scripture, when Jesus says, how often will I have gathered you together under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, this is what Jesus is likening himself to. And again, so precious, so gentle with us, but the look on the face is, go ahead, make my day. These are my babies. Now, just in case, just make sure that you guys don't think I'm crazy. Now, I know I'm crazy for other reasons, but crazy in my research and understanding of hens, okay? There are other nerds like me in the world, and this woman, her name is Karen Davis. She has a Ph.D., okay? And I got on her website. The website is United Poultry Concerns. Now, this might get on, this is going to be projected on a podcast, and she might hear you. Okay, so be careful. United Poultry Concerns. This woman has dedicated her life to the study of the domestic fowl. Okay? Now, thank God she has because she's helping us with our Bible lesson. See, God gives everybody passions for a different reason. In all seriousness, it's amazing. So this woman wrote her dissertation. Here's the title of her dissertation. I have to put my reading glasses on. This is very serious. The Social Life of Chickens. She wrote a huge paper on this. Now, I'm going to read a little excerpt from it. So this woman has studied chickens her entire life. She's an expert, more than any of us. And here's what Ph.D. Karen Davis has to say. She's speaking of Eva. Eva is a hen of hers that she has observed for many years. You're still laughing. This is serious. Watching Eva travel around the yard outside the sanctuary fence with her tiny brood close behind her, was like watching a family of wild birds whose dark and golden feathers blended perfectly with the woods and foliage they melded in and out of during the day. Now, periodically, at the edge of the woods, Eva would squat down with her feathers puffed out and her peeping chicks would all run under her wings for comfort and warmth. A few minutes later, the family was on the move again. Now, says Ph.D. Karen Davis, throughout history... Hens have been praised for their ability to defend their young from an attacker. I watched Eva do exactly this one day when a large dog, now picture this, a large dog and a little hen, all right? A large dog wandered in front of the magnolia tree where she and her chicks were foraging. With her wings outspread and curved menacingly toward the dog, she rushed at him over and over, cackling loudly, all the while continuing to push her chicks behind herself with her wings. And the large dog stood stock still before the excited mother hen and soon ambled away, embarrassed, like with his, you know, tail between his legs. But Eva maintained her aggressive posture of self-defense, her sharp, repetitive cackle, and attentive lookout for several minutes after the large dog was gone. As I was preparing for this message, I never expected this. I went to dinner with my parents, and my dad told me he was watching the History Channel, right? And he said he saw on the History Channel, and you know anything is on the History Channel is absolutely true. But anyway, he he did see a documentary about a hen, and he said that there was a mother hen with her baby chicks, and they came across a large snake. And what the mother hen did was went directly towards the snake, understanding that that snake was going to eat somebody. She walked right up to the mouth of the snake and let it eat her so her chicks would go free. I'm going to tell you something. Hens are serious about their chicks. And they have a way of fluffing out their body and taking the chicks right in to their own body. You see that picture up there? Jesus has taken us right into his body, the body of Christ. And he wants to be our protection. I want to end with one final picture of a hen. This one is neat because you can see the legs and they're standing there. But my favorite is this hen because she's walking down the road, baby. Not only is she protecting her chicks, we're going for a walk, friends. Watch this. Yeah, I'm a hen, and I have 13 feet, okay? Now, she's serious. She's walking across the pavement. One peep, one chick's a little brave. He's going to say, I wonder where we're going. And the others are just underneath the mother hen walking down the road. And this is the verse that came to my mind when I saw this picture after understanding hens. For your steadfast love is ever before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. We have learned a lot about God's love tonight. God, your love is before my eyes. Your love is different. It does not vacillate. It is totally reliable. You are transcendent. Your love reaches down. Amen? 
God, you are faithful. Your love is action, not reaction. And because of that, because knowing that you have likened yourself to a hen to show me what it looks like in my mind to be under your wings, to be protected, I will walk in your faithfulness. I want to tell you something tonight. No matter what the road is that you have to travel down tonight, tomorrow morning when you get up, a month from now, 20 or 30 years from now, whatever your fears are, whatever you're afraid of about walking down the road of life, let God's steadfast love be before your eyes and know this. You will walk in his faithfulness. He will gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and take you down any road you have to go. Come problem, difficulty, a large dog, or the devil himself. Amen? You're under the shadow of his wings. Bow your heads with me, please.